Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, we are in Twin Falls, Idaho, and I happen to meet up with Wyatt Wood, who has uh, invited me to a tractor uh, show. It's not really a tractor show. What is? What, what are these? They're um, hit and miss motors. Yeah, that's, that's what they are, Lauren. Um, so what we have here is we're part of the Early Day Gas Engine and Tractor Association, which is a national association for um, collectors and enthusiasts who enjoy antique power. And when you talk about antique power, you're talking pre-1940, pre-1910? Um, not, not even that, really. It's anything, I guess, that you could consider vintage. I mean, I have, personally, I have a David Bradley that was built in the 50s here. Um, a David Bradley what? Garden tractor, excuse and me. And when you talk about garden track, talking about stuff from the 1900s, uh, 1940, where, where are we talking? We're talking anywhere from about, oh, I know there's stuff from 1816 all the way up to basically present day as far as gas engines or steam engines or any kind of engine is concerned, even down to hot air engines, which, you know, if you have further questions, look that up on Google about a hot air engine. You'll see... Great is that example. what they call a Stirling engine? Yes, Stirling okay. engines. And um, a lot of people have those on top of their wood stoves and they, yeah, and they turn a little fan. fan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. So, um, yeah, we've got all sorts of stuff here today. We, uh, we put this show on this year because, as many of you are aware, with the situation in 2020, with the COVID-19, um, a lot of shows were canceled this year, on, especially on the West Coast, all the major meetups for... These, you know, for these enthusiasts are, were canceled. So we decided to put together a show and give everyone an opportunity to get together that chose to do so. And you've got people here from California, from... we got people from California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Utah, um, really just kind of the Pacific Northwest region, if you want to consider that. And how many and how many items are on display here? Probably um, five hundred. Well, we counted. We have at least over fifty engines, gas, air, what have you. Um, there is probably safe to say probably close to two to three hundred items here on display. That's all. Yeah, is all for here. It today. looks like there's a lot more than yeah. that. Well, I mean, we're only taking up you know maybe two acres worth of space here at the fairgrounds. Okay, and this is a this is a, a national organization. Yes, so the Edge and TA, which stands for Early Day Gas Engine and Tractor Association. Okay, and and most of the other events have been canceled. Yes, so just due to state restrictions and local restrictions, you know they're canceling you know these these meetups because uh, a perfect example is the there's a, what's called the uh, Powerland Heritage Park, which hosts the Great Oregon Steam Up every year, the last weekend in July and the first weekend in August. And they were actually canceled this year because of the COVID-19. So all of those people, we advertised to them saying, hey, we have a venue, we have people that are gonna be there, you know, feel free to come over and join us. You know, our state is open, you know, we can, we can get together and have a good time. Cool, and you said you've got engines here from 1816? Yes, so there's a Stirling engine here that, it's a model of a Stirling engine, but the technology dates to 1816. So the principle of how it works was, uh, I guess you could say, invented or discovered in an, about 1816. Okay, and, and if anybody can hear, I don't know what the, what the background noise on my mics are right now, but these things are called hit and miss motors because of the way that uh, they only fire occasionally. Yes. Let me take a microphone on over here and put it next to one of these engines and let people hear what it sounds like. It just fired. It just fired again. Hopefully you can hear that. Uh, okay, so now this engine only fires, what, every 10 revolutions? Um, it, it really depends. They're governed by the RPM, which means 
the governor regulates the speed of the engine. Um, so essentially how this works is it holds a valve open in the engine, um, if you're familiar with how an engine runs. Go ahead and um, explain it because yeah, not everybody's okay. going to be. So an engine runs on four cycles. You have the intake cycle where there's an intake valve that opens and as the piston comes down the cylinder it sucks in a mixture of gas and air. And then the intake valve closes, the piston then comes back up and compresses that mixture. And at the point just before that piston reaches the top, a spark or an ignition of some sort ignites the fuel and air mixture that's been compressed. Excuse me. And then the air, that superheated gas expands and forces the piston back down the uh, back down the cylinder, and that's the power stroke. That's what we hear when it chuffs, as we hear that power stroke, and then the piston comes back up. The exhaust valve opens, and the burnt gas or the burnt fuel and oil is exits the chamber, and then it repeats. Okay, um, so when you say that the that the exhaust valve is held open. Mm -hmm. uh, then what that means is that there is no compression in order yeah. to push the piston back down from the from the gas and air mixture being compressed. Exactly. And so it's just free floating in there. Yes, it's coasting. Is it, okay. That's probably the best way to explain it. It just coasts. And all of these engines that we have seen all have big flywheels on them. Yes. I mean, we've got a flywheel over here that's five foot round. And those flywheels probably weigh what? 800 pounds? Those, well, that engine weighs about 10,000 pounds. And how much would one of the flywheels? It has two of them on there. Oh, they're probably 3,500 pounds a piece. Wow. Just a piece. For each flywheel. For each flywheel. And, that, and that's a really big flywheel. Yes. But then we have several of these smaller ones. This one here's uh, the flywheel's what? Probably 18 inches round. 18 inches, yeah. And that one would weigh what? 150 pounds. Probably, yeah. Safe and bet. so once you get that weight, that 300 pounds, because you've got two pulleys spinning, mm -hmm. then the weight of that and the motion just going forward mm -hmm. is keeping that piston moving back and forth when the mm -hmm. engine's coasting and the yep. and the mm -hmm. exhaust valves open, right? Yes, exactly. So the flywheel carries the momentum. We can think of it like a battery. It stores the energy for us. Okay. So when we, for instance, when we take one of these engines and we use a belt to transfer the energy to, say, a feed grinder or, you know, a water pump, those flywheels help to maintain a consistent RPM and they give us the torque we need to do the job. Okay. And when he's talking about these belts, I don't know if you Google old farm machinery. I'm sure that you will see a tractor sitting with another piece of machinery sitting a little ways away and there's a big leather belt or canvas mm -hmm. belt or some sort of a belt. Sometimes they're like 30 foot long. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these are just using small belts that are maybe five foot long or seven mm -hmm. foot long or some yes. of them are even, I've, I've seen some I think that were even using like the old uh, Singer sewing machine, mm -hmm. uh, yes. little leather straps that were yep. carrying the power from the engine to the device being run mm -hmm. and I've seen you know just as I've been walking through I've seen all kinds of different things being run by these I saw an ice cream maker I saw a milk machine that ran into a vacuum pump mm -hmm. uh, the motor ran a vacuum pump and then ran the milking machine for milking a cow I saw a water wheel that it was running to power uh, well it was running a water pump and then pushed the water into a water wheel and then it was running a sharp, saw sharpening mm -hmm. uh, machine. Yes. machine, just all kinds of things. Well, let's let's take a walk around yeah, and kind of talk sure. about some of this while we're while we're going. Now, I, I got to ask you a question. Don't okay. mean to get too political. No. But why are these things called governors? Well, because they regulate things just like a governor does. <laughs> okay. I, I think it was just carried over from the politics at the time. Okay. Um, steam engines have governors. Realistically, about every engine, other than maybe your car, has a governor. All diesel engines. Even the diesel engines on your car. Uh -huh. Well, yeah, and I diesel. think some of your gas yes. cars do have uh -huh. governors. You can't go over 90 miles exactly. an hour. Yep. Uh -huh. yep. Even though the car's capable of much, much more, the governor just limits the amount of 
of power or whatever it can get. Mm -hmm. Now, when we first walk into this display, there's a, a hit and miss motor, but then we see this tractor. Yes. And this tractor is a monstrosity. This thing is a 1924 Altman Taylor 3060 tractor. And this was a gas tractor. Yes, it was. And um, it says here that it weighed 24,000 pounds. Yes, it did. Well, it does. I mean, it's, it does weigh 24,000 pounds. And um, the wheels on this thing, if you stood on your feet and stretched your arm all the way up, you might not be able to touch the top of the mm -hmm. wheel. It, it's 8, 10 foot tall. It's 90 inches tall. 90 inches. Uh -huh. and, and 8 foot is 92 inches. So it's uh -huh. just shy of 8 foot tall yep. at the wheels. And then this was gas operated, you said. Yes, yeah, so this, this engine will run on gas, kerosene, or distillate, which was a, a very heavy form of diesel fuel. Um, it was cheaper back in the day, so most of these engines here today actually ran on kerosene or this distillate fuel. Um, it was just cheaper back then, back before gasoline was readily available. It was a very unrefined, very crude, in the literal sense of the word, oil. Okay, and I don't think this thing has a turning radius. It's very sharp. Um, it doesn't. It it takes a little ways to turn, but it uh, it's actually more agile than one would think. Really? Yeah. It. This thing is just a behemoth. How tall does it say it is? It's um, uh, the overall height is eleven feet four no, and a half inches. There, yeah. Yep. Eleven and a half four. And, and half the feet. length on this thing's eighteen feet two inches, and the width on it is eight foot eleven inches. So almost nine foot wide. You almost need a wide load permit to carry this thing down the highway. Yeah, you almost do. Um, it barely fits on the low boy that we brought in. Brought wow. it in on. It is a neat looking piece of machinery. Mm -hmm. I wish I could describe it to where everybody could understand what this thing is. It's got a radiator on it that holds 120 gallons of water to keep the engine cool. Mm -hmm. That's just a phenomenal amount of water. And it would yeah. pull 12 plows. Yes. Which again is, is amazing. And the back tires are what, probably two foot wide? They are. Yep, they are. And how easy was this thing to get stuck in the field? They're smooth tires, so I'm assuming either they had well, cleats you could put on yeah, it? Yeah, they, it had lugs on it when it was built. Um, they, uh, you'll have to Google this to understand exactly what we're talking about here. It's an Altman Taylor tractor. A 1924-3060 yep. if you yeah, want to Google you'll, that. You'll pull it up and you'll, you know, you'll, you'll understand what we're talking about here. But yes, it had uh, cleats that went on the tire, or on these steel wheels to pull it through the field. Um, we're actually, this winter, we're going to be tearing the wheels off of it, riveting the cleats back on it so that we can plow with it next summer. And were they easy to get stuck or, or? Well, they were, Lauren, they were built for the Midwest. They're a prairie tractor. Um, Altman Taylor is a popular one, and Avery is another one. Park Par, um, Case built steam tractors. There's, I mean, they're just they're big tractors. Oh, they are. So, yeah, and what's the horsepower on this? It's so it's 60 horsepower is what the engine produces. Now 30 of that horsepower gets eaten up through the transmission system on it, so it's rated 30 horsepower at the drawbar. But when we say horsepower. You know, if you can envision 30 horses hooked together, you know, and we're talking draft horses here. We aren't talking, you know, your grandpa's little pony. We're talking Clydesdale draft horses. That's the equivalent of this tractor. That's just amazing. Just a big tractor. Yes. Yes, so, it is. And yeah. do you have any idea what something like that would cost new in uh, $1924? $1924? I could not tell you. I know roughly what it costs now, and it's astounding because they're just... They're, they're an expensive piece of machinery even by today's standards. Well, but. and tractors by today's standards are extremely expensive. Yeah. But when you talk about the 30 horsepower at the drawbar, aren't some of these little Kubota lawn tractors, not lawn tractors, but, but yeah, bigger than that, utility. the mid-size yeah. Kubotas or whatever, what are they putting out at the drawbar for uh, horsepower? 20 to 30 to 40, I mean. And you can park that in your driveway without any problem yeah. if you live in a city. But this thing here, you're not parking. You're not no. really parking anywhere no, unless you got you're some gonna, acreage. Say so you're, you're going to be building a shop or a garage to park this in. But um, yeah, it's very, very different rating of horsepower too. This tractor will, this tractor will outpull that little garden tractor you were think you're talking about earlier. Okay. 
Now we're looking at this at this uh, big hit miss motor mm -hmm. that we were talking about, and if you listen, you'll hear the exhaust. I, I'm assuming that's the exhaust when the valve closes yep. and it makes that loud pop. Yep. The flywheels on this, he was saying, weighed about 350 pounds. There's no, 3,500 3, pounds. pounds a piece, mm -hmm. and they're about five foot in circumference. And you heard when I said that it popped last time. It's getting there. It went. Mm -hmm. That's how long it is between uh, power strokes on yeah. this thing. Mm -hmm. So the flywheel is just turning freely. Yeah, it's coasting. Now, what was the reason for doing that? Was it a fuel saving measure? Well, yeah, it was. It was a fuel saving measure and just a a horsepower thing, really. I mean, it, it just you know it was if the if the there was energy used to make the motion you know if it's not running anything it coasts now when we hook it up to like this engine here it's a fairbanks morse model n it's 40 horsepower this one's unique but we'll talk about that in a minute but it was hooked up to a large air compressor and so it didn't coast a whole lot. It might have coasted when the clutch was disengaged, but when you engage the clutch, it does not coast. It's a power stroke every time. It hits every time. Okay. And so you had that loud pop every yeah. every time. Every that time. It every time it went over, it popped and ran. And it was, you know, it was running an air compressor to mine in Northern California. Okay. And so it was supplying air to the miners, or it yes. was running the air tools. So it was running the air tools. Um, one thing that makes this engine very unique is it's called a take-apart engine. It's the only one in a 40 horsepower range in the world. Um, the whole principle of it is is that each piece of this engine can be taken apart like these flywheels, can be broken down into pieces, and there isn't a piece on this engine that weighs more than 300 pounds so that it could be strapped to a pack mule and packed into, you know, into the mine or the location that it was needed. Okay. So this is what you're seeing here, Lauren. This is one of one. There is no other 40 horsepower Fairbanks Morse Model N like this in the world. Really? Well, that is amazing. And I've even heard it run. Yeah. That makes it even it more amazing. Yeah, and so have you here on mm -hmm. uh, Podcast Land. Yeah. So feel that free to look, cool. feel free to look this one up on uh, on YouTube. It's on there. All sorts of information. Um, Smokestack is another place. Um, just look up Fairbanks Morse model and you'll find it. Okay, and then we've got another hit and miss motor here that mm -hmm. is, uh, well, it's a two-cylinder, it looks like. Yep, it is. And uh, it's opposed, two-cylinder opposed. Now, these have a water container on top. That's for cooling, yeah. correct? Yes, yeah, that is that is the radiator. It's referred to as a hopper because um, it's just, it holds the water. It doesn't circulate the water or anything. It just keeps the engine and the piston cool just like the radiator on your car does and i've noticed several of these around here they have uh steam boiling out the top so yes. they must be running right about boiling yeah temperature. 180 190 degrees just like your car and most of these are all self-oiling they've got you you have a uh, no. oil bath that picks up oil and you don't have to do any alternative oiling right no i mean there are some points on the machine that you have to oil because most of you know on your car everything's enclosed and it's got a self-oiling system on these engines it's not everything's external so you have oil you have what are called um oh the name slips me now oil oilers is what we refer to them as they're made out of brass with a glass piece of glass in between so you can fill them with oil and regulate how many drops of oil you know per time period run in but um, that's what that's what lubricates this engine. There's a lot of points on the outside that don't have those. You have to go along, you know, every so many hours and give it a little drop of oil here and there. I was being kind of sarcastic when I was saying that because I've been watching these guys all day running around with their little oil cans, like the Tin Man, and, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, moving every little point. You yeah, know? very much like the Tin Man from the Wizard the, of the, Oz. The <laughs> crankshafts are exposed on a lot of these. Yes. And so I'm sure that they have to be specifically oiled. Or I saw one that had a screw that you put uh, oil in and then you tighten down your screw yeah. throughout the day in order yep. to keep the crankshaft mm -hmm. loose. Yeah, like this one here, it has two of them on top of the uh, connecting rods there. There's those, they're called grease cups. And so you pack them full of grease and then, you know, every morning you give it a quarter turn, half a turn, and it forces, you know, that amount of grease into 
the bearing surface so that it stays lubricated. Um, well, and the thing that I find amazing with these is how many moving parts there really are. Yes. Uh, again, when you open the hood of your car, you don't see hardly anything moving other than your alternator and your fan. Mm -hmm. And these things here have levers that are moving back and forth, controlling the governors and uh, valves. You can see where the valve springs and all that are moving back and forth and the piston and the crankshaft. And it's just amazing to look at these. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear the, I love to hear them run. That pop, oh, yeah. pop, pop is, is really kind of relaxing in a way. <laughs> it, it draws a lot of attention, that's for sure. And then there's a bunch of lawn tractors over here. You've got uh -huh. some with the center pivot in them. Yeah, so these are holding, or holder tractors. They're built in Germany and imported. Um, you don't see very many of them. They, uh, there's a gentleman over to Oregon that collects garden tractors, and uh, this will probably be the only time I personally will ever see these tractors is at this show. Um, the whole point of our show is our kind of our theme this year was uh, we decided it was orphans and oddballs. Okay. So things that weren't built where there weren't very many built, like down here there's this Lennox Kitty Track crawler tractor. Oh yeah. And Lennox, if you're familiar, you know they built furnaces. Right. And so And this little tractor has got a blade on the front, it looks just like your your D4 cat all except it's about <laughs> the size of a of a Barbie Jeep. Yeah, it's like a Tonka truck that grew up a little bit is what it is. And did that move much stuff or? No, no, the tracks are smooth. It was more just a toy? Yeah, more or less. Cool. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting tractor to say the least. We've got several hit and miss motors that are running. You've got a two-cylinder Sterling motor here. Yeah, that's what I was referring to earlier. Um, yeah, this one they're heating, they're using, they're heating it with propane. And it's got two cylinders on it, mm -hmm. and the heat's causing the, mm -hmm. the pistons to go up yep. and down. Called. Now, can you get any torque out of these things? I'm not really sure. I'm not familiar with them, other than they run on the Sterling cycle. You know, go ahead and look that up on YouTube or okay. Google. You'll, there's videos for days about that stuff. Okay. And then we're now looking at the, the water wheel, where they mm -hmm. had a hit-and-miss motor running a water pump that uh, went through a fire hose and then turned a water wheel, and then from there they turned a... Uh, Another pulley that turned the saw sharp, uh, one of the old yeah. big circular saw blades, like yep. what you see some people paint pretty pictures on. And uh, yeah. and then they had a sharpener that they'd be able to sharpen the teeth on those big saws. Yep, exactly. And I saw this one running earlier today. It's not running right now, but it's quite the deal. You've it's, got pulleys and... Oh yeah, it's, uh, it's really neat to see. I've never personally seen yeah, a display like that. <laughs> You're having belt issues. You can't get it to track right. Huh. It's still, I, I saw it working earlier today and it was pretty dang cool. It, it's fun. We, we were very pleased when we fired it the first time and everything all actually worked in my backyard. It was like, okay, this is great. And then what, you brought it a thousand miles and it's not, and it's not uh, set up quite the same? 500 <laughs> miles. Well, it was running good for a while this morning, but um, then we started having issues with the belt. So we've gone so far as to put a different belt on it, slide the engine forward. Have you put a twist in it to try that? Well, if you put a twist in it, reverses rotation, so we'd have to spin the engine around backwards. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking and at this a, one over here. You've got, got a twist in that belt. Yeah, because to get the rotation correct, okay. that needs to have a twist. Cool. Hmm. And where are you from? Reno, Nevada. Reno, Nevada. You mind if I ask your name? I'm yeah. doing a podcast. This is okay. called Where Am I to Go? We're not doing any visual anything, but uh, <laughs> you've just got through explaining stuff. I might as well give you credit. All right. My name is Ed. My buddy is Ken, and we come out of Reno, Nevada to come up here to Filer and play. That's cool. I appreciate you coming up here. It's, uh, this is cool seeing this stuff. Well, we enjoy the opportunity to put on a show. <laughs> cool. Cool, cool. Well, we're going to come on over here and look at this uh, this motor that's running over here. Mm -hmm. If you want to tell me a little bit about this, Ed, I'd be more than happy to hear it. This one is a 1926 Black Bear oil field engine. It's 25 horsepower, uh, 1,710 cubic inch single cylinder. 
gasoline well, okay, fired just engine. A just a second here. We've got 1,000 cubic inches on this. 1,710 no, cubic No, you're talking 1,700 cubic inches. Yes. And most cars, if you've got a big V8 in there, you've got a 454 cubic inch. Correct. And most of your Mustangs were running a 289 cubic inch. Correct. This is like 10 times more, and it's only putting out 40 horsepower. 25 horsepower. 25 horsepower. At 180 RPM. Here's your. Okay, the RPMs are pretty slow on this. I see it. At 180 RPM. Now, right now, it's not running 180 RPM. Right now, it's running maybe. Oh, that might be running about 90 RPM or so. It's running pretty slow. Okay, now just just uh, uh, to help people understand, why is it that you've got close to 2,000 cubic inches and you're putting out so much less horsepower than like a 289 cubic inch V8 motor that's sitting in a in a Ford Mustang uh, that's pushing out? I'll bet the 289 is pushing out 225 horsepower. Because these engines were made to run under a constant load, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 50 years. That's a long time. That's a very long time. So they were running at low RPM. And what about the compression ratios? What's the compression ratio on this? I'm not sure about the ratios, but they're pretty low. They do not have a tremendous amount of compression. You may be five to one, maybe six to one. Uh, maybe a little higher than that, maybe seven or seven or eight, somewhere in that neighborhood. I think to, to fire a gasoline engine, you're going to need to have about seven or eight to get any sort of efficiency out of it. And what but were the so, that's pretty low. Well, what were the Mustangs running? Oh, on premium fuel, factory setup, maybe around ten and a half to one, maybe eleven. Okay. And so they were running a higher compression. Also, these are running at 180 uh, RPM. And your Whereas the Mustang, five thousand plus, six thousand, and that's where they get their peak. That's where they take their their peak. Uh, where they make their go power. Right, right. Okay. Well, that helps explain some of that because this is a big piece. Uh, how, how much do these flywheels weigh on this? The flywheel group. So the two flywheels and the crankshaft weigh in at four thousand four hundred pounds. So about twenty-two hundred pounds each on these flywheels. Yeah, a little under 2,000 a piece on the flywheels, another about 600 pounds for the crankshaft. And then and then you've got a, a well, the, the piston on this thing's what, seven inches, eight inches round? Uh, this piston is 11 and a half, 11 and a half or 11 three quarter inch. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's moving back and forth and I can't really see it, but I'm not great with my measurements on some of this stuff. It's just guesstimating anyway, but that's Pist huge. The piston weighs over 300 pounds. The piston itself weighs over 300 pounds. Just the pounds. piston with no connecting rod. The piston and connecting rod weigh about what a small block V8 Ford motor weighs. Wow. Complete. Wow. That's just amazing. And then this was, this was used as an air compressor? This is an oil field engine. So once an oil well is drilled, once you have the hole in the ground and you find oil at the bottom, you have to pump it out of the ground. Okay. This engine was used for pumping oil, for oil wells. Now, would it have one of the big uh, rotational heavy weight, like what you see on the, on the beginning of Dallas? No. Um, typically, what on an engine like this, this would sit inside of a shack. And the shack would have this engine in it. Behind the engine, there'd be about a 10-foot diameter gear Laying, per, or laying parallel to the ground, rotating, being driven by a pin, a pinion and a belt. And there is a large eccentric bolted to the top of that okay. rotating lower gear. And it's rotating pretty slow. And that gear is maybe rotating at one or two RPM, along with that eccentric. Now there's solid steel rods coming off of that eccentric. They're hooked with a little pivot called a clevis. And these rods go through little holes inside of the building, go in all directions, about 270 degree circle. Okay. Running, maybe you got an oil well out to the north, 100 yards, and you got another oil well out to the, you know, out to the, the, east. the out to the east. Yeah. That's out there a quarter of a mile, and you got another oil well out there to the south. It's a half mile out, and another 15 oil wells in between them. Well, this will run all of those wells at the same time just by pulling and pushing those steel rods back, back and forth. 
And it'll pull the oil from a quarter mile away. Well, all it's doing is pulling a rod. Okay. And the rod has got a fulcrum point at the wellhead, which turns horizontal back and forth motion into vertical up and down motion. Okay. And that vertical up and down motion is just like what you would see on an oil field, a horse head pump jack, okay. creating up and down motion. Right. And it's pumping oil out of the ground that way. Well, that is just absolutely cool. I really appreciate your time, Ed. Not a problem. We're going to move on to a couple other demonstrations here, but uh, uh, this is called Where Am I to Go? You're welcome to uh, take a look at it. In fact, I'll bring you back a card. That'd be great. And uh, it'll be out oh, here in a couple weeks, and, and uh, you can tune in and listen. Wonderful. Thank you. Very good. You have a good one. Okay, now we're walking on down through uh, several older tractors. Yep. One of them's running. You can hear this isn't a hit and miss. It's just a steady gas engine. It's a steady engine. gas engine. Yep. Like, like normal tractors today have. Yep. Yep. So uh, these two, first two here are Huber brand tractors. They're built in Marion, Ohio. And then this one here, this is a Rock Island tractor. It has a Waukesha engine in it. And all three of those, well, those one, the first two, the Hubers, they have a, have a rubber uh, casing over the wheel with yes. treads. So the, yes, the first one has a uh, factory add-on um, rubber tire tread wheels for like an industrial use, like in a factory to move. And they're solid, um, they would yeah, never go flat yeah, or anything. they never go flat. And then the second one in, it just has uh, some ag tread, like off of a, uh, off of a newer John Deere uh, track type tractor just so that we can drive it on the street, not have any issues with tearing it up um, like a cleated or lug tractor would. And then the next two tractors here, they both okay. have cleated wheels, which yep. are steel with big steel cleats on them that are probably uh, two and a half inches high, triangles uh, bolted to the metal tire yeah, uh, to the or rim. Metal, metal rim wheel. Yep. And those things had to have dug in pretty good and, and kept yeah. you going, I would think. Yep, they do pretty good. Um, if, if they did really good, we'd still be using them today, but a uh, rubber tire just does a little bit better job on efficiency, so that's what makes all the difference. Okay, now yeah. you own this 1921, or 29. No, I, I don't own this one. I'm just working on it. You're working on yeah, it? Yeah, okay. I'm working with the owner. I, I did some work on it here a few weeks back on uh, getting the magneto fixed, the carburetor fixed. Now the uh, magneto is what causes the spark yep, on a lot of these. It generates a spark. Cars in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, they all had points and distributor and, distributor and stuff. Yep. The magneto precedes that. Yep. And exactly, well, not exactly, but briefly, how does a magneto work? Um, it just uses magnetism to generate, you know, a rotational. Rotates, generates a magnetic field, which generates electricity, just like and then creates the spark. Yep, just like your Honda generator. Same principle. It just is a way to generate electricity um, without using a battery. Okay. And then we've got a we got a John Deere unstyled B here, which is pretty much just a run of the mill. Um, just Google that one; you'll know exactly what we're talking Again, about. Again, those are called Johnny Poppers, yep, right? Two cylinders. They make they have a different sound. They, they have a different sound. They go pop, yeah. pop, 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 pop. Uh -huh. Now this one's a little bit different. This one's quite unique. It's a Caterpillar Model 30 gas tractor. Um, this one was built in the late 20s. Um, it was used in the logging industry in Montana for a number of years. Um, and this is a tracked tractor yes, with a track on Yes, this is a tracked tractor. This isn't a bulldozer. A lot of people get that confused. It doesn't have a blade. It's, it's specifically for pulling logs or a plow or a disc. Um, this is how Caterpillar got started. Was they built tractors just like this one, the same horsepower and size range, and you know that's why they're still around today, is they had a quality product. And and they got a lot bigger as time went on. Yes, too. they did. That they did. And now this thing here is a unique looking little yes, tractor. Yes, I've never seen anything quite like this. Yes. So this is an Emco Power Horse. Um. Yeah. Window back. Yeah. So yeah, this is an Emco Power Horse. Um. They're built in Salt Lake City, Utah. They're not very common. Um, they're basically, the, the principle was is, is these, as tractors were developing, people were still farming with horses. But what um, Emco did is they developed a, uh, a tractor that you could still use all of your horse-drawn implements with. Mainly, okay. be mainly because you were steering with reins. 
And you rode on the implement. You didn't ride on the tractor. It and was, you steer this with reins yes. still. Yep, you so steer it with a brake system? Kind of like a skid steer? You know, I have no idea how it works, Lauren. I You sit in the seat. You've got you, reins that are, well, I mean, they're only three foot long is all they need to be. No, no, you don't You don't sit on it. Um, the reason there's a seat on it is uh, just for transportation issues at the, at the moment. Um, so you sat in your implement yeah, seat? Yeah, you sat on your horse-drawn implement seat. If you had a horse-drawn plow, you know, that you sat on, you sat on that seat, and then you steered it with the range, just like you did your old horse. Wow. Okay, I'm getting the picture now. Yeah, and it's... This is cool. It's a handful to run around. I drove it earlier, well, I walked it, because you walk behind it. You don't ride on it. Right, just like you were ground driving a team of horses. Exactly, and it, it's a handful to try and steer and walk around. And Well, the it, wheels are really close together. That yeah. whole thing, the, the whole length on that is only uh, about seven feet, I would guess. Yeah, and it weighs in, I think, at 2,500 or 3,000 pounds. It's got a lot of weight for its size. Wow. Well, that's pretty cool. Yep. I've never, I've never even knew that they had stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I know that they have... Uh, like if you've got a horse team and you wanted to run a gas-powered uh, baler, mm -hmm. they make a little go-between there to where you can drive that yeah. and then hook your baler up to it and the gas baler just goes ahead and does its job and you go ahead and drive your horses and, and take it wherever you want to. But I've mm -hmm. never seen it the other way around where the tractor was driving the horse-drawn equipment. Yeah, it's a little different. Um, wow. We're back over here in the engine area, and I want to talk about this one specifically. Um, okay, now what we're looking at is we're looking at a hit-and-miss motor that's standing vertical mm -hmm. instead of horizontal, and it's got uh, two flywheels on it that are, what, uh, two and a half feet round? Yeah, about two and a half, three feet, about two, two and a half inches wide. Okay, and it's got a, a pulley on it for running one of your belts. Yep. That's probably 18 inches in circumference. And what was it about this motor? So this is a Golden Gate. It was built in San Francisco, California. Um, it's a very interesting engine because it's the first overhead cam, roller cam engine patented design. Um, this particular engine lived its life in a pattern maker shop in Alameda, California. Um, the gentleman that owns it um, related to me that he, uh, it, it's unique in the fact that it runs off of natural gas, which was available in San Francisco at the time okay or it'll run off of gasoline either one yeah it's a dual fuel engine it uses it has several different um has a couple different features about it that make it useful like that make make that available okay um, yeah so it i believe it ran it ran this pattern maker shop up into the 1970s Wow. And so it lived its life indoors. That's why it's in such great shape. And so like the guy was talking, Ed was talking over there, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it ran for 50, 60 years every yeah. day for eight hours a day. Yep, every every working day for probably eight hours a day running machinery. Wow. You know, and if you take care of these engines, they will. You know, the quality is there. And, and it's amazing something that you have to hand oil and needs really what I would consider a lot of care and maintenance. Yes that they hold up and last as long as what they do. Yeah, well, that's, that's what you get when you build a quality product. So That is really neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing that's neat about this show is we have a lot of people that came out of California and they brought with them their California-built engines. And the California-built engines generally carry a higher price tag with them because there wasn't a whole lot of builders in California at the time. Okay. So it makes them unique. And now we're looking at these walking tractors. Uh, and, and what a walking tractor is, is it looks a lot like maybe a rototiller, other than it had all kinds of different attachments. You could put a cultivator on the back to take the weeds out of your field. Uh, one of them has a mower blade on it. Uh, another one has a rototiller blade, but they're, they're big. The, the wheels on these things are probably two foot round rubber tired and they're they're a big they're a big piece of machinery yeah yes they are lauren um the whole garden tractor movement or even per se rototiller movement stemmed from the need for people to replace their horse if they you know back in the east coast there's a lot of farmers that you know maybe farm five acres well when gasoline engines came along and 
things, you know, a better way came along. Garden tractors offered an affordable means of power at a great price. You know, with a garden tractor with an engine, the engine never got tired. You didn't have to stop at noon to water the engine or change out the engine for another one, like, well, like you would a horse. In reality, if you had five acres and you were trying to feed a horse or two, you'd be hard-pressed to be able to feed the horse year-round yes. on five acres. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you'd have to put up the hay, you'd have to do a lot of work yeah. in order to even begin to keep a horse yeah. for a year yeah, on, you might, on you five might have acres. Two of that five acres and actually marketable product. Right. And what the garden tractor gave you is you no longer have to have that other three acres in hay or alfalfa or what have you to feed the horse and to pasture the horse. You now had a garden tractor that took up you know, a 10 by 10 square square foot spot, even the old horse stall. And a and gas barn, can. And a gas can, and you were good to go. And so you could now farm that other three acres and make all the money back, you know, and make even more money. Now I would assume you'd be pretty tired running this uh, this walk behind tractor. Does it, um, does it pull and tug the way a rototiller does, a front-tine rototiller? No. Well, heck, even the rear-tine rototillers aren't like they show on the Troy Bill commercial. No, no, these, uh, these are cultivating tractors mostly. They offered plows with them, but they were generally built for cultivation. So, for like this one particular, it's a Planet Junior uh, Model HB. Um, it lived its life on a strawberry farm, and all it did was cultivate that strawberry farm. The owner of the farm had a bigger tractor that he used to plow and disc in the spring, and then they would go in, plant their, their transplant strawberries, and then they would spend the rest of the summer cultivating with this tractor. Okay. So it's, it's not as grueling as one would think as far as effort goes. Well, now we're going into an area where we've got seven or eight of these motors all running at once. Hopefully, uh, you can continue to hear the podcast through the popping of the motor. We've got one here running a water pump. Yep. It's running the water pump jack up and down with a set of gears. There's one that's got a power plant to it that's got three light bulbs that it'll generate uh, yep. enough power to run. Yep, it's running a dynamo. It, it, yeah, okay, it's running the dynamo. And then we've got another one here. What's this one running? This is an apple peeler. An apple peeler. Yeah, well, ain't that cool. What the owners have done is uh, mounted an apple peeler on the same cart as the engine so that you know, it's self-contained for show purposes, but um, this one, it looks like you can put two or three apples on and it rotates on a carousel. And cores an apple and peels it and then rotates around while you change out the apple. And now how much fuel would one of these, okay, we're looking at one that uh, probably weighs, I'm gonna guess that that weighs 12, 1500 pounds. Uh, the, the flywheels are two and a half feet in circumference. And so it's a fairly decent sized machine. It's uh, three and a half feet long, two feet tall. How long would a gallon of gas last in one of these? Quite a long time. Um, a lot of times, uh, like so there's one particular engine that was built for Montgomery Wards under the name Satley that a friend of mine owns. We can do a five day fare on about one tank of gas, which is about one and a half, two gallons. And that's running. And that's every running day. it every day, every all day. day long. Yeah, they're they're actually really quite efficient, surprisingly, for what they well, are. Well, why aren't we using them still for lawn mowers and and those types of things? Because I know I can't get more than about three hours out of my gallon in the lawn mower. Well, the problem is, is they're just they're so big and so heavy. Um, the efficiency, as far as pounds per horsepower, actually isn't there. You know, okay. if an engine weighs fifteen hundred pounds and only produces two horsepower, you know. It's really not efficient. You know, you can't put a 1,500 pound engine on your lawnmower. Okay, yeah, I guess that makes so, sense. There's, there's, there's some give and take with this. Has anybody used one of these like for those long distance uh, car races that uh, the colleges all build the, the car that'll see if it can go 100 miles on a gallon of gas? I don't think so, because honestly, Lauren, I don't think a lot of engineers these days are smart enough to work on one of these. You know, these young college kids, you know, I'm only 25, but a lot of them can't work on this kind of stuff. They they don't understand, they understand the basics, but from there, you know, they start learning about fuel injection and all of these other things, and it no longer becomes 
you know, they, they feel it isn't relevant anymore, but it, uh, you know, it works. It's proven technology. If it didn't work, there wouldn't be, you know, hundreds of thousands of them in the world. And, you know, we, they wouldn't be running if it didn't work. Yeah, and, and they've been running forever. I mean, yeah. 50 years. How would you like a lawnmower that ran 50 years? That's well, yeah, and like that oil, you know, that Black Bear oil engine we were discussing earlier with Ed. There's a lot of places that those engines are still used today. They run on natural gas. You know, they've been converted over so that they run on a, you know, natural gas vapor rather than running on an actual, like, gasoline. But, you know, they're, they're still in use back in the Midwest. I mean, there's places that build brand new versions of those because they work. You know, nothing has come along that is more efficient or works any better. So they still use them. You know. Well, it'd be interesting to see one of those one of those uh, miles per gallon car racers decide to try something like this and just put along and yeah, I and mean, uh, travel. And see how far they could get. I'd say if it wasn't a speed race but an endurance race, it would probably be quite far. Now, I was talking to this guy earlier. We're looking at an original, I can't remember what the name of it was, but they turned into the Surge Milk Machine Company. And this one here has a, has a hit and miss motor on it. Mm -hmm. You go ahead and crank it up. And then it has a vacuum pump built into it that comes into a vacuum tank that comes into the vacuum uh, bucket of mm -hmm. your milk machine. And you yep. can attach that up underneath your cow and it automatically milks your cow for you. Yep. Yeah, so it uses crankcase pressure is how these work. There isn't a separate pump in there. Oh, okay. It just uses that, that crankcase pressure because when that piston's traveling inside the crankcase, it generates a positive pressure and then okay. a vacuum and a positive pressure and a vacuum. Well, what they did is they put a valve in to release the positive pressure, but it would close when it created a vacuum. Okay. That way, uh, that way they could draw a vacuum on, you know, on the milker to milk the cows. And then it probably saved farmers tons of time being able to hook the cow. Oh up. yeah, no, you could milk a cow in five minutes on what would normally take you an hour doing by hand, and you don't have the hand cramps. Well, this is just amazing. We've only covered a few of these. Uh, I spent probably two hours, three hours here before I talked with, started talking with Wyatt about this. Uh, I don't know how much more I can describe that's different than what we've kind of covered already. This has been a really fun place to be, a lot to see, a lot to do. And what was the name of your association again? So it's the Early Day Gas Engine and Tractor Association. Um, we have a website. It's edge and it's edge and ta dot com or dot org go ahead and spell that out it's uh oh i you're really challenging me now um so here i'll have to i'll just pull my card out and that way i can actually spell it to you correctly because i i can't remember that way there if um, somebody wants to go to this website or they're interested in uh maybe joining the organization or wanting to attend some different events, maybe they can see it. Yeah, so it's uh, www.edgeta.org. Okay, and so that's www.edgeta.org. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there's local branches or chapters of this organization in every state. Really? There's, they're all over the place. Um, if you're on the East Coast, a popular place to meet is uh, Cool Spring, Pennsylvania. They have an excellent show there. I haven't been, but um, supposedly it's it's the place to be. Um, there's a swap meet in Portland, Indiana that is just phenomenal from what I understand. Um, they're out on the West Coast here. We're fortunate to have uh, um, Powerland Heritage Park in Brooks, Oregon, which is just outside of Salem. Um, you know, it's we just... We have a lot of great people involved and a lot of uh, a lot of sponsorships and um, it's just it's a great association to be part of if you have any interest in vintage horsepower or antique iron of any sort or whether it be tractors engines um, you name it okay and while we're while we're saying that I do want to hit on one more thing that I think you've got two or three of here that uh, I find highly intriguing have for years have never had the opportunity to be able to buy your own but uh, I've seen them different places you've got a Maytag ringer washer that has a kickstart 
gas motor on it for washing your clothes. Yes, so uh, this Maytag washer was built between 1923 and 1927. Um, they're all over the place, really. You probably can't swing a dead cat without running into somebody that knows about it or owns one. Um, this particular one is one that I own. I, uh, I don't have the original Maytag gas engine that went on it. So I had a uh, Briggs & Stratton engine that I repowered it with, which um, the Briggs & Stratton is a model WM, which stands for washing machine. Um, okay. The Briggs & Stratton Corporation built it to sell as a replacement motor for a Maytag. And it has the kickstart on it. Yep, and it's a, a lot like a motorcycle kickstart. Yep. yep, exactly. So it, Granny went on out there when it was time to load her clothes, drug her clothes on out into the yard, and sat out there and kickstarted that motor. Yep. And yep, and away it went. You know, it's uh, a lot of people associate a a lot of labor involved with you know washing your clothes that way. It, it is a little laborious, but it's actually. Um, I found it's actually more efficient than your washing machine today. It gets them cleaner and you use actually less water, surprisingly. My, my wife was uh, washing clothes for a while on a ringer washer because we didn't have uh, plumbing inside the house when we first started building. You know, we found a ringer washer. It was electric. But you know, you could fill that tub up with water, uh, 20 gallons of water, 10 gallons of water, whatever mm -hmm. it is that they take, and you could wash two or three loads of clothes. Yeah, with wring the, them out yeah. and then fill it full of rinse water and then wash it again. So you weren't using nearly as much water. It wasn't a push mm -hmm. a button and walk away from it. You were tending the machine all day long yeah. uh, as far as running the clothes through the wringers. But I actually think that they got the clothes cleaner. They do. Even if you don't have any buttons when you're through. It's true. Um, <laughs> there, there are some techniques to washing clothes and keeping your zippers and your buttons from getting smashed. But yeah, they're... Uh, I mean, I'll attest to it. They got my clothes cleaner. They did a lot better job than my brand new Maytag that we have at home, you know. And I know there's a lot of shops around that keep the ringer washer for washing their shop mm -hmm. rags and, yep. and that type of stuff. But I hadn't seen a, a kickstart ringer washer in a couple of years. So when I saw that, I, I wanted to bring us back to it. Yeah. Well, you know, Wyatt, I really appreciate your time. Now, folks, Wyatt spent this time with me. He's 25 years old, he said. This guy knows more about this old machinery than just about anybody I know. He uh, He's very, very knowledgeable, and it's been very fun talking to him. I actually get to talk to him quite a lot. He's a nephew-in-law, and uh, I, I appreciate him taking the time. He invited us over here to Twin Falls. I had to come see what was going on, and uh, I've had a great time here today. If, if you're not interested in old machines, it's still worth it to come listen to the noises that these things make, to see the way that this old stuff operated. This isn't a museum where you walk in and you look at a bunch of stationary pieces of machinery. There's, there's 15 machines running right now, uh, and they're all doing different things, and these people are more than happy to talk to you about it. So if you get a chance to go to a tractor show or go to a, a hit-and-miss motor show or anything like that step out of your comfort zone go do it and have a heck of a time you know the world is full of wonders you need to get out and explore try new things try everything at least once and I hope you all have an absolutely wonder-filled day I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?